The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm your host, Dave Hennessy, and today we are releasing the third of three podcasts leading up to NERA's DNI Gala, which is next week, March 22nd, where Anita Hill will be the keynote speaker. Today's guest is Ed Hurley Wales, the VP of Market Diversity and Inclusion at ADP, and he has two roles at ADP. One is focused internally with DNI, and also he's focused on helping their clients improve what they're doing with regard to diversity and inclusion. Ed is also chairman of the board of NERA, who this podcast is produced in cooperation with. Ed's a great storyteller. You're going to enjoy this podcast. He shares his personal journey about how he got into the field of HR, and in particular, diversity and inclusion. It happened very early when he was in the military. It's a fascinating story. He's a family man, a great communicator and storyteller. You're going to really enjoy this podcast as he gives advice to the diversity and inclusion function and to the HR functions. Before we go to Ed, I want to tell you about our next podcast, where we extend our diversity and inclusion series to a fourth and we're going to have the recipient of NERA's 2018 Frank X. McCarthy Diversity and Inclusion Champion Award. And that is Shauna Ferguson, who's the Managing Director of Global Diversity and Inclusion at Wellington Management. We'll release the podcast with Shauna a few days after the gala. And now I bring you my conversation with Ed Hurley Wales. Here we are at NERA's headquarters with Ed Hurley Wales, who happens to be the VP of Market Diversity and Inclusion at ADP. And he's also, and the reason why we're here at this office, um, he's the president, chairman of the board of the Northeast Human Resources Association, NERA. Welcome to the podcast, Ed. Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure uh, being here. Very excited. Kind of interesting. You've been with NERA quite a bit. You're a part of one of our three podcast series where we do our lead-in to the Diversity and Inclusion Gala, which is on March 22nd, and we have Anita Hill as the keynote speaker for that event. Very excited to uh, to have Anita Hill, and, and so timely, right, given uh, the current state uh, socially and politically in, in the country today. So uh, we are excited, uh, as we always are, about our speakers coming into the Diversity Gala. Always a sold-out event, uh, Dave, as, as you know, and so we're really excited to have our participants in, in the program really learn some great things, uh, and I'm looking forward to hearing her. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of excitement about it. I've heard that things are selling out quickly, so. Uh, um, two tables left. Two tables Almost left. sold out. Oh, wow. That much, that little is yeah. left. Well, I thought it'd be good, Ed, to just, before we start getting into the topic of diversity and inclusion and talking about your role at ADP is... You know, you've um, got a, a great reputation of the work you do Thank in you. this function of diversity inclusion and at the work you've done at NERA for many years. I thought it'd be good to take a look back. And as you look at your career now, did you ever think this is where you'd end up? This is what you'd be doing. How did it happen? Oh, that's that's a great that's a great question. I've asked myself that question many times over the years. But my beginning started in the United States Navy. Um, it was 1971. Um, I was attached to a uh, an attack squadron, uh, VA-147, 
And this is back when there was some racial unrest uh, in the United States Navy. We were aboard the USS Constellation. So we deployed uh, down to San Diego, California. And uh, we were going to be deployed on the uh, USS Constellation. And this was during the time, you know, just imagine, no cell phones, no emails. But two race riots broke out aboard the USS Constellation and the USS, uh, it was the uh, Kitty Hawk. Um, and we were on our way over to the Tonkin Gulf to relieve the Kitty Hawk, um, and two race riots broke out on both carriers, and this was just un- unusual for these times. Um, I, I was having lots of conversations with my captain at the time. It was a dangerous place to be. It was a, a really disturbing time for me being a young man mm-hmm. um, and, and being exposed to the level of uh, disruption that was going on. Mm-hmm. And so the captain and I had many conversations around how can I help what can I get involved in? And back then it was, uh, they called it an ombudsman relationship, uh, race relations. Mm. And that's that's what really started my venue down uh, this path of mm. uh, race relations in the United States Navy. Really? He, um, he recommended that I go through this uh, program, the Human Resources Goals Program, which was one of the the first programs in the United States Navy to deal with race relations. Mm-hmm. I was the youngest enlisted person to go through that program, but long story short, that, that was the, the beginning of my the foundation. Wow. Um, very early in your career. Very and, early in my career. And, um, and in very uh, tense moments as well. Right. Coming yeah. off the heels of the civil rights movement, um, right. or during that period of time, right? Um, you know, I was... You know, in 19, I was born in 1954, so you can do the math and, and figure out that, you know, I remember when MLK was uh, was, was assassinated. Uh, I remember I, I was here in Boston when he marched in Boston, you know, uh, during that period of time. So, wow. you know, I grew up in that civil rights right. time frame, understanding all of the, the racial injustices and the complexities around that. And then, you know, entered the Navy and thought, okay, this would be a different change and, and found out that it was not, right? It mm. was a very uh, very difficult period to be in um, during mm. that time. But I was inspired and motivated to, to do something, right? right? Um, and so I volunteered. And so you, you, it was you, you sought it out? You, I you, sought it you out. Approached, yeah. I, saw, I saw some injustices with fellow uh, sailors, uh, and I just thought, I, I have to do something, mm. right? Um, and, you know, that, that's my mom's training, right? She was like, you know, you just don't be a, a watch. Don't be and passive. I, don't right. be an observer, right? Right. And so, uh, and that's how I got involved in, in wow. that. And what, and did you, um, what did you get from that experience um, as you came through it? Uh, what were some of the big things you took away from that whole experience that led you down further in this world of diversity and inclusion you know, and I, human I, resources, both? It, that's a great question because I didn't have the answers then, right? Mm. And, and so I went through the uh, the Human Goals program back then, right? And it was a with the University of Memphis, and it was a structured program, and they taught you uh, negotiating skills, communication skills, race relations, um, as it was known at the time. But I just knew back then how complicated it was, and I was always perplexed by why, right? If we're a team, if we're one unit, why can't we just get along? I look back now and I, I understand a lot more today, uh, but then it was just if, you know, if you're from Nebraska and I'm from Boston and we're on the same team, we're, 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 we're in the same unit, why can't we just get along? And so I, I think that's that's the key thing that I've taken away over the years, because I, I think this is a topic uh, when you talk about diversity and inclusion, there's no quick responses. This is mm. not an easy journey. We're there's not with, an answer to the no, equation. No, no, no. It's what there is the at the continuous journey that you're on, right? It, it's it's complicated. It's mm. you're dealing with 
you know, that how the brain works, right? Mm -hmm. and, and how we're conditioned and the experiences that we have. So, right. so and how, what culture has put on us, right? You got it. You got it. Well, maybe we could talk a little bit about um, Nero and your role here and the, the progression you've seen since you've been, you know, involved in the board and also been president and chairman of the board. Oh, that's great. Well, I was recruited to come to the NERA board by, by Deb Hicks, mm -hmm. uh, who, who we all know, and, and Lisa Zankman, and, and, and I've been connected with Russ Campanella for years, right? Um, One of our uh, former guests of the podcast. Exactly, right? exactly. Um, and, and, and Russ and I have a connection with Wang Laboratories uh, along our journey. But that being said, I was on the board of HRLF, and I was just about to come off the board with, uh, at the time, the, the chair of the board was uh, Claire Mott. Uh, who, who you know? Yes. And um, Deb Hicks and, and Lisa Zankman said, "Okay, Ed, uh, it's time to continue to give back to the community." Uh, at least that's how they phrase it. Right? Um, and and so I said, "Great." Um, and they said, "We need you to come on onto the board." Uh, and so it's been nine years, nine years with Nira, and it's just been you know. And I believe in what we do here, right? And so uh, years ago, I was a member of Nira, many years ago. And it was viewed as a, as, as a, you know, that junior practitioner, right? Um, Nira has changed dramatically. Yes. Um, and and I, I hands off to Tracy, uh, the executive director um, and, and CEO, as well as uh, the, the many members who've served on this board, because th this organization has really morphed into something that's really great. What I love about HR is, you know, as I've gone through my career, the network is phenomenal. The opportunity to share and collaborate. If you were a developer and dealing with agile technology, right? Um, most developers don't share codes with other companies, right? <laughs> In the HR community, we share everything, right? I mean, people are just open to sharing new approaches, ideas, systems, processes, policies, approaches. So it's just been right. it's, it's just more been collegial great. as a function. Very yeah. much so. Well, let's talk about your role at ADP, too, because you have a very unique role. I didn't even know this, Ed. I've known you for a couple of years, but I didn't know that you have a dual role. You're, the, the title is VP of Market Diversity and Inclusion, but you have a role with, with regard to diversity and inclusion inside ADP and also with ADP's clients. And maybe just talk a little bit about sure. what you do every day at yeah, ADP. Sure. Let, let me explain how I got here. Oh, okay. I, and so I was the uh, SVP of uh, HR for Workscape, which was a human capital management company that got acquired in 2010 uh, by ADP. And, and, and I feel blessed that, I, you know, they spoke to me then because um, both the CEO and, the, and everyone on the C-suite thought once the deal was signed, bye-bye and off to the next juncture. And we have a great CEO um, at, uh, at ADP, Carlos Rodriguez. Dermot O'Brien is our CHRO and our, our CDO, by the way, is Rita Mitchins, who's, who's just doing phenomenal work. And so... They said, you know, we want the talent. You know, no one has to run away. Um, and, and they said... With the acquisition. Yeah. With the acquisition. Yeah. And yeah. so they said, Ed, let's, let's talk about what role that, that you love to do. Uh, and they had some ideas and I had some ideas. And uh, it has morphed into this role of working both internally, right, with a lot of the internal programs around training and, and those initiatives, working with consulting to leaders and, and managers, um, but also working with our clients, right? We, as you know, we are a very large organization. We have about uh, 60,000 uh, worldwide uh, global associates. 
one out of every five people paid in the world are paid through ADP. Oh, is it really? 20% yeah. of oh, all yeah. paychecks oh, are cut by ADP. By wow. ADP, right? And, and, and by the way, you know, even when I, because I, I, I was a client for many years using ADP services, but I didn't know the, the spectrum of, of support and roles that they've done, you know, from talent management to, yeah, to it's taxes. Not just, it's to, not just payroll. So, no, yeah. yeah. So, what are some and, of the other and, things and, that are... And so, you know, we, we recently acquired uh, TNBC, right? The the, the whole... Uh, Marcus Buckingham. Marcus Buckingham. Yeah. It's just, it's a very different... So it's, it's not your father's ADP, ADP or mother's, right, right. mother's ADP. Um, yeah. so, so, it really <laughs> has uh, expanded greatly, um, PEO services, et cetera. I, we, we talked about, okay, so our clients, we really value our clients. And so how do we help them with thinking about their diversity and inclusion? Mm -hmm. um, not only strategy, but, you know, can we share with them what we've done at, at ADP, right? right. And so, or it, what other what other companies are doing? Because you have a you have a lens to all of that as you well. You got it. You got it. Right. And so, you know, we we are we collect a lot of information. We have a great research, um, but we're also, you know, as as being the HCM provider, right? Uh, and and the the scope and size of who we are, you know, we need to also exemplify that right and so practice what you preach they say right and so uh, it's not about just what our other clients are doing it's what we do and here's what we need to continue to improve on right and so for me dni is about are we on the journey right um are we really making an effort to to excel in any of these categories and and at the at the end of the day it's about the people, right? It's about the talent that you have, uh, the talent that you're trying to achieve or, or, or attract, and the talent that you can retain. Ed, why don't we dive into the diversity and inclusion topic, some of the core areas. What do you think it takes for an organization to be a true leader in DNI? I mean, you've touched on it a little bit. Maybe go a little, a little deeper in this. Why should organizations be so focused on this? It's a, it's a good question, the why. And so more so than ever today, the talent shortage is happening, right? And so it's it's real world. And then if you think about the whole change of dynamics with the multi-generational workforce and think about the millennials today, you know, I think about my daughter, right? And what she requires from an organization from the standpoint of what is their brand? What's their culture? What's my role? Am I Am I going to be satisfied? Am I going to grow with this organization? Mm. The, the the bar has, has been set higher now, more so than ever, right? Mm. And so diversity is just that. And diversity, you know, back in my day, right, when I started doing this work, it was about race and gender, mm. right? Now you can you can infuse a whole spectrum of, of elements here, right, which is race, gender, sexual orientation, veteran status, gender, I mean, you go across the right. spectrum, right? Um, country of origin, country, all this, right, yeah, right. national, well, you just right. name it, right. and it's so diverse now. And that's the challenge for HR people to really, really embrace that and, and really know the knowledge behind, behind that. And so now you're thinking about, so now we're very diverse, and you have a diverse organization if that works out to be uh, part of your makeup within the climate of your organization. So how do you make sure that they're effective together and, and that they're performing together mm -hmm. and that they're at their peak level of performance, right? Um, because as you know, it, it's about team again. And then I go back to my example of, of the military, right? If we're one team, we got to be locked arm in arm, right? It's about life and death. It's about uh, making sure that we're, we're, we're getting there. In today's environment, it's about achieving the mission that you're that you're seeking off to be right right but diversity is only one piece of it right? and and i think sometimes we we've gotten knowledgeable about what does that look like what does it you know feel like in your organization mm. i think the bigger the bigger issue to me is around 
equity within your organization? And what does inclusion mean, right? Mm. Well, and then that leads to the next question. So to really, um, to get there, you're helping organizations do this all the time. Can you give some examples about how organizations that feel like they're not where they need to be with regard to diversity inclusion? What steps are they taking? What is, what are the, you know, what are the true leaders in this space doing? That's a... <laughs> I know it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. It's, 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 it's a complicated question, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to give you a sense of what I think organizations need to think about, right? Because I, I just met with CHRO recently in, in the Boston area, and she said, Ed, what do you think of this training? I want to do this training. I said, slow down. What's the strategy? And, and we just looked at each other, right? Because I said, well, what are you trying to achieve and accomplish, right? And so so what, what is it that we, we need? Is is what we're trying to do connected to the business strategy and why? Yeah. You know, uh, ADP, most of the decision makers with that we're selling to are women. So doesn't it make sense that we would have a very diverse workforce? 70% is a big number of decision makers, sure. right? And so, you know, it, it's, it's... Which we say is the number of HR professionals, right? 70% women usually, yeah, right? You got it, yeah. right? And so so how do you make sure that you're aligned and you understand what that business uh, connection and strategy is? It's the leadership buy-in, right? The leadership commitment on any front, right? That's really going to help move the needle from the top. Mm-hmm. And then and then I think it's like the business case, right? Do you have a business case on why you're doing what you're doing, right? You know, GE moving into Boston. I, I like to use that as an example. And, and their goal is to hire 20,000 technical folks over the next couple of years. Well, I looked around the table that I was in re- recently of, of, of peers, and, and I said, where do you think they're going to get 20,000 people from? Get, newsflash, it's not all coming out of MIT, right? So, <laughs> right. Um, Maybe a, a few from there. A few, right. <laughs> but, but again, it's going to be from other organizations. There's a business case of making sure that your culture, your environment is ah, right yes. intact, right? Your leadership capabilities are there. Right. Uh, your managers are in tune. And your retention thinking is right, is, is right on point, right? Because yeah. I think that is so important. And then the resources to do it, right? So oftentimes... You know, diversity and inclusion groups don't have a lot of people. You, you got to make sure that you're the alignment again, that you're working on the right issues, mm-hmm. that you're 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 working on the, the right things that you should be doing. And and I do think you need to be passionate about this work. Mm-hmm. A, a good a good friend of mine who you know, Steve Pemberton, said he had an epiphany, and I love this quote. He had an epiphany one day that this work is really hard, right? Because dealing with gender, race, uh, sexual orientation, whatever these topics are, they're complicated. Right. And dealing with getting a team to perform the way you want them to perform. Right. It can be complicated. Right. right? And so just note that level of passion and commitment needs to be there. As important as it is, I I think it needs to be thought through and facilitated appropriately. Right. And so, you know, we're we're sitting here in in, in Concord, Mass. at the NARA headquarters. Race is still relevant. Right. Race is, is an issue in America. Where do you still see it at? You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, last year, 2017, and, and we think we're making such great headway in this area, and, and we are in many aspects of it. This issue is alive and well. Um, and, you know, I, I live in Concord, Massachusetts, and I, I happened to be in, in, in Jersey on a business travel uh, trip, and I got a call from the chief of police in this from this town. And and I said, what's up, uh, sir? And, and he says, you know, there was an incident with your daughter, and I'm I'm now in mass panic mode, right? Um, you hadn't even heard from your daughter. Oh my God, no! You heard directly no, from the police. Directly from the chief of police. Oh my God! And he said there was a incident that happened. Three men 
threw a metal object um, at your daughter and called her real negative words, right? And the police are on the scene. One of the officers took her home. They were checking tapes to, you know, from Dunkin' Donuts and, and the bank to see if they can get the license number because she only got the first three digits, mm. which is great because they were so caring about my daughter, which was wonderful. And they went to extreme efforts and they even met her for that week um, while she was taking the train, right, from, from Concord Center. They would right. meet her, make sure that nothing happened. But my issue is race issues still happen, it's still, right? And, still and today. So, yeah. and, and we think we live in liberal Concord, Massachusetts, the most right? Thoughtful, uh, one of the most thoughtful places right, in the world, right? Exactly. And race is still an issue. Gender equity, still an issue. Mm. LGBT biases. I mean, we still have diversity issues overall regarding our inclusionary efforts um, that we need to do. Um, My hope is that, you know, that generation and and leaders like yourself and Nera uh, and others will will make it make it different. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's my only hope. And I got to think glass half full uh, that we're going to make a difference. But these are trying times Mm. uh, on this topic. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story. Sure. We need to have these honest conversations. And by the way, it's not just with race. Right. It's it's, you know, gender. Right. I mean, how long. Uh, from an HR practitioner, have we been talking about pay quality, right, for women, as long as I can remember, right? And we've not achieved that. Race issues. Um, you know, th- there was a New York Times article recently that says, how come we haven't achieved this yet, right? Mm. And there's um, a Boston Globe series. Boston, Spotlight, Spotlight series. Spotlight. Right. Um, and, and, you know, so it's interesting because when we have these conversations, uh, oftentimes I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, neighbors or friends and they're shocked by it. And I'm like, Really? And so, you know, and I'm not shocked, right? I mean, I see, I've lived in Boston, born and raised. I've lived other places around Mm -hmm. uh, the country, but I was not shocked by it, right? Mm -hmm. And you could see the difference even with, you know, the seaport area and who's moving there and who lives there. Mm -hmm. And it's not about, you know, it's it's just about, is this plan, is this unconscious or or conscious efforts going on, and how do we have the conversation? Mm-hmm. I, I belong to a hundred con, uh, hundred concerned black men in Boston, and we met with the the mayor recently. A hundred concerned men of, black of Boston, black, black men, men of Boston. Boston, and and we invited the mayor in at one point, right, to have have a conversation about just that, right. So what are we doing around equity within within this community within mm-hmm. Boston? And so the Spotlight series doesn't shock me. Um, I think what's good about that is, you know, when you talk about courageous conversation, uh, and, and I thank the Spotlight Series for doing this, they put it out into the open for mm-hmm. us to read and really understand what's playing out on so many different dimensions and to have that conversation. But to have the conversation for you and I, you know, I need to listen to you and you need to listen to me and we really need to think about our, our views and opinions and, and where, where those views and and, and opinions are coming from, because right? uh, that's an important piece. And how does that apply in the workplace? Where, in what way have you seen that concept uh, of courageous conversations work well with regard to diversity and inclusion inside a workplace? It doesn't have to be at ADP or yeah. just like. Yeah. Are there are there any um, examples you know, or I, ideas I, you I, have I, around I, that? I, I can give you an example of just in this town. I did a training for the Concord Police Department, and as an African American man. When the chief called me and he goes, would you would you do a diversity and inclusion training uh, for the department? At first, I was hesitant, right, because you know th- th- there's there's lots of issues of you know it's controversy, right, to to, to deal with the police shootings that have taken place and right um, many organizations and people think it's the we they right, right. Um, and so I was hesitant, but I did I, I did an eight hour training and it worked out very well, right, and we had a lot of what what you would consider to be courageous conversations, right, mm. uh, of just having honest 
dialogue. And one of the things that I, I try to do is have a fact-based conversation. Because sometimes it's based on even my biases, right? Right. You know, and, and so, you know, you need to go in there with knowing the facts, first and foremost, and then having an open dialogue. And be respectful that, you know, one session, you might not walk away with agreement. Right. But at least we're respecting one another. We're having that honest dialogue. And unconscious bias is another, you know, throwing around terms here. That's something we hear more about, and it's certainly certainly something that I believe we all have as part of us, right? There's all there's all these biases. You mentioned it yourself. You say we all have these biases. Right. And what's your view about how unconscious bias plays a role with regard to diversity and inclusion and what organizations are doing? You know, there's a lot of training uh, going on on, on on this topic uh, and, and really good good training and awareness. And like anything, it's, it's about that ongoing practice. And so at one point... You know, I, as an HR person, right, you, you learn certain skills and competencies and, and you're sharing that with the leadership team. Um, and, and there was an awakening that, that I had, right, that once I took the implicit bias test, right, from, from Harvard. Um, and, and one of those awakenings were, oh, wow, I have, I have my own issues, right? And so, you know, it, it, I think it's so important to work on your own, uh, your own work, right? then you can work with others because we all have our biases, right? We all have them. And it's thinking about how they, how they play out. How do they play out when you're, you know, it, by the way, I'll give you multiple examples. If, if you said you're in the United States Navy, I would say, oh, there's a connection automatically, right? <laughs> uh, what college did you go to? Oh, there's another connection, right? And so we all, we all share them. And, and, and the pinnacle would be if you said, and I'm an avid fly fishing person. I'm like, okay, he's, he's in, right? Um, and, and so I, I just think we need to think about... I might be out it. I don't think I'm right, 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 right. If, if you're not having any of those stories, then, then that's a concern. Um, but but, but that's, that's the level of sort of work that we need to think about when it comes to unconscious bias. It's like, where are you, where are you going to get the talent? Are you going to the same sources? Are there new ways of looking at that talent. Right. When it comes to leadership development, are you doing the same thing that you did 20 years ago and, and, and you're not getting the results that you're looking for, right? right. And so it's it's really looking at all our, all our biases and our approaches in the HR work that we're doing, right? And say, you know, succession planning, right? If you see that, that women are making it to a certain point and then no longer, what are the questions that, that we should be thinking about or asking or taking a different approach, right? And so we all have them. Uh, it's, it's really peeling back the onion. To do this work, you got to be open to really understanding mm. different cultures and perspectives, right? You, you just can't. The military is good with this, right? The military pulls people together, and they try to strip you down and make you all alike, <laughs> Right, yeah. that, that, that's how right. it works. At least that's right. how it was in boot camp, right? Right. And, and so you know, and, and then you're you're they one, force a culture they, they on force, everybody. You got it. Right. You're the same, same uniform. Everything. Right. Right. In, in industry, you know, we really need to think through, and, and the military's gotten there too with with new thinking around. No, we need to accept people for who they are. We need to listen to who they are. My plight might be very different than your plight. My background might be different than your background, but we might have the same vision and mission. In, in play, right? You yeah. want to be successful. I want to be successful. You want your 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 kids to, to grow and, and and be and be successful. My daughter the same way. Right. And so, you know, in the work environment, I want to work with a collective team that's all about 
winning, right? right. So let's win as a collective team. Um, we used to have this expression many years ago when I was a VP of HR for a company called Ablex. And, and, and we started this expression on the, on the C-suite team with uh, the, the CEO at the time, Jit Saxena. And I said, you know, we should have a, a sort of mantra, right? Never let a team member fail, right? And, and that, 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 was our, that was our mantra, right? You got, it, got each team. other's back. You got so. it. Same with this topic, you know, it's complicated yeah. and it's a journey. It's not, it's not one training and right. you've accomplished your mission, right? It's, it's, you know, how, how much are you capable of, of doing the marathon? Because it is a marathon. And as you know, race, gender, and many of these other issues have been going on for many years. It's going to continue to go on for many more years. But how committed are we? And, yeah. and, and I see us as a society. I have hope. Uh, I have a lot of hope yeah. um, that it's changing. And I look at, you know, the, the millennials today, my daughter being a reflective person in that group, and the millennials are thinking very differently. They're much more concerned about the earth and the well-being. They much more want a uh, an environment that's really about collaboration. Um, they want to learn something new every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it, they're, they're very socially driven, social media focused. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, so you're hopeful that, about that, that we're, we're yeah, getting there. We're Even getting though it's there. been slow, it's, I think it, we're getting there. There's optimism. Yes, we're, we're going to get there. You know, and we're talking a lot about big companies and, you know, it seems like we're talking about big companies and what big companies can do. What do you see, like, if somebody's like the head of HR of a smaller organization, is there anything that advice you'd give them with regard to diversity and inclusion and all, and any of these topics that we're bringing up, what they can do inside their organizations? If they're like a, a one-person HR group yep. or a two-person HR group. Well, a lot of the consulting that I do is, is with smaller companies, mm-hmm. right? And so small, mid-sized, and, and enterprise-wide organizations. Um, I, I think the first thing is to do is, is to sit down, you know, if, if you're one person. I just met with uh, a company in, uh, in Cambridge, and, and I met with their uh, diversity leader, and I just happened to know their CEO. And, and so we just sat down and had a conversation. And, and I wanted to get the insights from the CEO and founder of this organization, what was his vision? What mm. would he like to see? Mm. What's the culture that he's trying to build, mm. right? And then we we just marked out, you know, three things that the HR person could do, right? Uh, re, you know, right off the bat um, to say, here's what you want to start building, right? And so one was about talent attraction. So it's in the new area of Cambridge, you know, that that, that section of just high, the biotech section. Oh, yeah, right? the Kendall Square. The Kendall Square. Area. Yeah. Um, and so we, we, we just came up with three things to say, okay, so here's some new sources to find that talent, right? And so you want to do that. You want to look at, so what are some of the communication efforts? Um, because, again, I go back to that inclusion piece is so important. Many people are having issues with they bring the talent on, and then 12 to 18 months later, Talent's gone. What is it in the environment that you want to make sure that you're, you're doing to to facilitate that, right? Mm-hmm. And so it could be more teaming, more you know mentoring programs. It could be communications. It could be a number of things that yeah. we want folks to to really think through. But the onboarding process is an important, really important piece, right? right. If if you can start to do that, um, get leadership buy-in, right? Uh, you know, and this leader was very much he's the CEO and founder. Mm-hmm. Very much committed to this. Very well versed in, in, in what's going on from a standpoint of not just the reading of the publications, right, but mm-hmm. but also his his own experience, right, and, and what he wants to pass on and what he wants the senior team to reflect as well as the organization. So I think people are people are becoming more, as my daughter would say, woke um, to many of these issues and trying to work it. Ed, are there any misconceptions about the field of DNI, the perception of what people do with regard to diversity and inclusion in that function? 
You know, it's, it's an, an interesting that you said that because I, I find this topic more and more when I'm engaging in conversation that, that people feel like it's it's the soft, you know, it, it, they used to say that about HR, it's, it's the soft <laughs> skills, right? And, and and I look at it as it's a major business impact, right? And and building, many organizations are building the business case, but it's not about soft skills. It, it is right in line with uh, developing a great culture and, and a great you know, environment for mm-hmm. for your associates to uh, to thrive. I mean, so I don't look at I don't look at it as the soft skills at yeah. all. You mentioned a little bit, but who do you look for? Who do you look to uh, for thought leadership with regard to diversity and inclusion? How do you, and how do you develop your skills in in HR and in this this whole area? I, I work for, for for a company that is so supportive of the whole continuous learning process. Right, so we're always learning new things and and support it to to get access to that you know Howard Ross would be one uh, we do a lot of internal development programs uh, at ADP um, and, and you know I, as, as I used to say to my daughter uh, growing up right learn something new every day and and that's the approach that I take right with my own development again you know I recently met a gentleman uh, Robert Levingston Professor Robert Levingston from Harvard University um, and just uh, just I could listen to him all day long. I was on the conference board, by the way, years ago oh, yeah. uh, for the Diversity U.S. Conference Board. Uh, and again, working with a collective group of individuals, just know so many people uh, throughout the country through that connection that mm-hmm. share and collaborate info. Right, Shauna Ferguson at Wellington Management. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can just go around, go around the globe and say, you know, this is the work, and that's the beauty of this community always willing to share, right? Um, Paul Francisco from State Street, Colette Phillips. I mean, everyone who's doing this work is really doing some really insightful work and sharing. So I, I don't pinpoint one right. exactly. I'm, just I, use I, your I, network. I, I use my network yeah. to, uh, to to look at really, to learn, uh, to, to learn new things. You know, um, Jackie Glenn from EMC. I mean, you just pick a company, right? And, mm. and, and you know, here. There's uh, a lot of great thought leaders right in our great, backyard oh, here. Right yep. in our backyard. Yeah. Uh, as well as around the country, right? And, mm. and I think it's important to, to look at that, right? To, to look at uh, a global view, right? I, mm. I know it's a U.S. centric type uh, of issues on many fronts, but, you know, I believe in looking at it from a, from a global standpoint, uh, which is important. Well, and by I the think... way, the Near Diversity Forum. Oh, yes. I can't speak highly enough about. Uh, the power of that, right? Uh, with Nevada, the breakfast series. The breakfast series. We had our symposium uh, that was a sold out event, um, and we had you know members from Nevada and many other companies who Harvard Pilgrim Health who, who participated in that. Mm. And again, the, the power of the network and sharing. Uh, it's just it's it's worth it. And of course, the gala coming up. On March the gala's coming up exactly with the need help. And back we're back to Nera here, so we'll go to the Nera question of the podcast. What things would you recommend to young professionals in HR or diversity and inclusion who are interested in moving up in the function? What advice would you give? Be a continuous learner. I, I mean, I, I think be a continuous learner is, is critical. Mm-hmm. The speed of technology is moving so quick. AI, right? Uh, robotics. I mean, all, all right. these changes are happening. Social media. Look, look at the speed in which all this is taking play. To be an effective HR person, we got to be on top of the game, right? And we have to know not just what's happening today, what's projected out, right? Um, what's what's the workforce going to look like three years from now? Mm-hmm. I, I also think it's so critical to understand the business. The, the one thing that have, has helped me in my career is when I started to look at the alignment to the business. I worked for a CEO once, uh, Kath Cody, um, who was a, at one point 
computer vision at Prime. Mm -hmm. I worked with her at Wang. Um, and, and she sat me down and, and said, I really need your focus on the business. Because I was all about policy, people, right? right. And she was like, I need you to be more in tune with this business that we're trying to build and develop, right? And so, you know, I, I would so say... So that was a wake-up call to you? Or it's like, oh, made I you gotta, wake up, right? right? And to really understand the business, really understand the financials, really understand the sales market that we're trying to achieve, right? Mm. And so to do all that, I think it's just been a great awakening for right. me in my career. And, yes. and that's what I, I recommend to, to many of the uh, HR individuals that, uh, and, and I mentor many, um, and, and here's what I think is so important right. for them Start to with achieve. the business Start first. with the business. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Ed, Nick, you have a tough moment in your career that seemed like it was like the end of the world when it happened, but it ended up being kind of a transformational experience for you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, brings back memories. My first VP of HR job, and and I went through the interview process. I thought I asked all of the right questions, uh, Dave, and uh, came on board. And within about three months after coming on board, uh, the CEO and, and founder sat me down and said, you know, we're going to make a lot of changes. Um, and talked about going international, talked about going public, talked about doing some acquisitions and and I and of course my reference point was this was steady state operation <laughs> and I was going home and losing I gotta be honest with it losing lots of sleep mm -hmm. um, have not at that point in my career done any of those three categories <laughs> um, and and I just thought this is this is not gonna be a nice nice show right um, long story short it worked out very well we were very successful um, but but the core here was that, again, being blessed with a great network of people um, who spent lots of time and energy and information with me uh, on each of those items that, that worked out well. So you're right? like, I don't know how to do this. This is the worst decision I've ever made. And you just found a way to get all the answers exactly. from your network. And exactly. From and, and not just within HR. Yeah. You know, I, I had a CFO at one point who right. I knew from a prior life who who met with me and helped me through um, some of the elements around due diligence. Right. I mean, so it was just it was perfect. Yeah. But but it's it, and again, one one of the things I'd recommend is not just look at HR as your network. Like go beyond that, right? Uh, yeah. Go beyond to looking at. You know that that business group. At one point, I was being I attended the CEO roundtable in Boston from uh, BC. Mm -hmm. I, I've attended like nine of those meetings because I just think it's interesting I've heard for yourself. About it. yeah. it's, it's great, yeah. and to learn from four hundred CEOs on what's on their agenda, what's mm -hmm. important to them, mm -hmm. I think it's powerful. Right? She's more good advice to the HR community right there. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, yeah. open up the venue, right, yeah. and, and look at your network and and really tap into that, but also give, right. I mean, so. You know, it's, it's not way. about yeah. yeah. It's not about take, uh, but it's about giving, right? right? And so that's that's what I'm hoping to do. Well, you have been doing it. Yeah. All these organizations that you're been leading. When you end up looking back on your career and what you accomplished, what do you hope to be remembered for? I hope to be remembered for a a strong leader, strong business leader, who was a member of the HR team who helped build great organizations, great cultures. That we're successful. I mean, that's that, that, that's my hope. Yeah. That's consistent with everything you've said, too. Yeah. Well, we asked some silly questions in the podcast, too. Some of them are silly. If you could go to dinner with any living person, Ed, who would it be and why? You know, I love this question because originally I was going to say Michelle Obama, right? 
But then I changed it. I changed that? it. Yeah, okay. I changed it. Trevor Noah. I changed it. The comedian. The comedian. The Daily Show. The Daily Show. <laughs> um, I've been following this gent um, for a for a long period of time now since these came onto the. I, I went to a show recently. My also. wife never misses a show ever. I, he's, it's brilliant. always on and after. He's brilliant. Um, and I paid top dollar to see him in Boston at a show last minute, my wife and I. I was just at the Diversity Inc. Gala last year in uh, in New York City, and he was the keynote. And I sat center stage, and I got a chance to shake his hand and say a couple of words to him. Um, I, I think he's very uh, insightful. I think when you talk about this whole diversity and inclusion aspects from his background or where he is from, mm-hmm. um, his upbringing from you know being in South Africa to where yeah. he is today, I just think it's great. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm big into I like to be inspired and and I yeah. love insightful people who care. And you like to laugh at something. And, like and, and, and he's also he can make you laugh. Um, so yeah, uh, he, he, he is great. But 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 and he I know is, that from some of the board meetings here. Exactly. Exactly. I, I I love I love to laugh and and I love to have a good time. And but, and, and I, I think that's the key of any organization that I've been a part of. Mm-hmm. It's like I only stay. When I'm enjoying it, I right. will leave if that gets to be old school. Well, right? and you know, uh, satire is a good way to get at some of these issues too. And yeah, Noah certainly. Uh, oh, he's got it. He's got a way to do that, right? What's the first thing you do when you get out of bed in the morning? Uh, the first thing I do is I wake up and I have. Well, first of all, I, you know, thank God that I'm awake, right? Because in the military, we used to have this expression. Every day you wake up on this side of the grass, it's a great day. Um, and then I, I proceed to have a, a cup of coffee, and I, I'm, I'm a news person, so I need to observe and find out what's going on That's in the right. news. And more diverse news sources all the time. Exactly, learn. exactly, right? <laughs> so watch a little Fox, watch a little MSNBC, <laughs> right? Get my perspective. Yeah, but, get but, but, but that's story. how I start. <laughs> and what gives you energy? We heard a little bit about this before. But, uh, maybe it's some coffee. I'm a, I'm a real visual person, right? So what gives me energy is nature being outdoors, being with people, right? I, I'm an avid fly fishing person, right? And so you put me on a stream, put me in, in the ocean, put, put me anywhere. I, that, I just, I get really energized. And, and I'm, it gives me that moment to think, right? Yeah. I'm in that moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, what so is puts, the excitement of fly fishing? I never, I know people are very passionate about it, but I see pictures of people standing in tall boots in a, in a river What's so exciting about it? You know, I got I, I got to take you fly fishing because it's not only exciting when you when you're you know the flies that you're using to imitate bugs or a fish are really tiny, and when you can hook into in the ocean, you know we, we catch stripers and, and bluefin tuna um, for freshwater out in Montana, for instance. You're standing in in a river with total silence around you, but the wind, right? You hear the wind. You might hear nature, birds, but to catch a trout. Uh, a gorgeous trout, and I don't eat them. I throw everything back. Right. But to see the patterns of color on the trout, to hear the water running by your your waders, that whole experience to me, that's what gives me energy. And, and to be around my family, I mean, yeah. it's you know, I've been, I'm blessed to, to have a wonderful wife, uh, Jennifer, and and my daughter Maya. Um, it's it just I, I'm blessed that's right. on so many fronts. Yeah, that's great. A book that changed your life. Ah. Uh, now, this is probably something you don't know about me. Mm-hmm. A book that changed my life was, um, I named my daughter after Dr. Maya Angelou. I was wondering that. Yep. Quick story. Nine months after my daughter was born, my mother-in-law called me, and she said, come out 
on in September because I have a good friend coming for the weekend. And I'm like, well, who's the friend? And uh, she was like, I'm sure you will enjoy meeting her, right? And I'm thinking, okay, and uh, I'll, I'll make it short because uh, there's a longer story to this, but it was Dr. Maisla. And, wow. and we had named our daughter after Maisla. And, and um, I said to my wife, Hello, where's the co- yeah, how your did, mother? How did this had happen? A, and why didn't you tell me, right? Because right. we named our we just named our daughter this. Right. Um namesake. And uh she goes, Oh, she's been a long term friend of my mom. And so we spent the And you weekend. never knew that? She, how ne- does that she never said one word. Um <laughs> and, and, and so we spent a wonderful weekend with Dr. Myangelo. Had the greatest time ever. And and I've met her numerous times after that. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, she signed a book just before she passed. Uh, to my mind, um, mm-hmm. but uh, wow. there, there's a book. Wouldn't take nothing for my journey. Uh, and again, I love these stories that inspire you. That you know, no matter what obstacles that you're facing, you're trying to figure out. Okay, so how do I, how do I go through it? And uh, I, I think the the one lesson that she taught me that we can not forget this. And we talked about race relations, by the way. Uh, really. Had oh, some, were you and Maya had a discussion? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, wow. race relations. It was so powerful. And so we talked about. I. I followed her all my life and Mm. and I said you know given what you've gone through you know you've just had some tragedies in your life Mm. um how do you do it how do you how do you uh, how are you the person that you are today and and she said give me an example of something that happened to you recently and and I happened to be in the state of Connecticut driving back from uh, Bethel Connecticut uh Mm. which was corporate for Duracell at the time Mm. and uh I got called out of my name on the expressway. Someone cut me off, and the guy was saying that, you know, not nice words. And, and I, you know, I was still hanging on to this, right? Just just angry about this. Uh, and it, was goes, a, it was a racial A racial thing, yep. Yeah. And uh, it, it was funny because, you know, she goes, so what do you think those gents are doing now? And I said, I don't know. You know, they took an exit, and I, had, I kept coming out, right? She goes, but how many years ago was that? And I said, I don't know, three or four years ago. She goes, but you're still hanging on to it, right? And you could see it. Or just resharing. You get brought yeah. you back to the moment. Exactly. Right. And she goes, you need to practice forgiveness. The greatest gift you could give to others and yourself. And I've been trying to do that ever since. That's great. Forgiveness, right? And so, really powerful woman. Mm. Um, but that book and many others, I have her entire library of books. Of course. Has, including her, <laughs> her her recommended cooking uh, cooking books. Um, but, but that's the story of my Angelo and, and my daughter is is so much like her. Um, but that's, that's great. Yeah. It's a great story. Wonderful book. Well, Ed, this has been great having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Just a, a rich discussion about so many different topics related to HR and business and diversity and inclusion. Thank you so much for sitting Thank down today. You. Thank you, David. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.